Good morning, everyone. We are so glad you chose to come and worship with us today. Will you stand as we sing together? We're going to sing to the only king. Jesus, we worship you. You are our only king forever. You are the Lord of all lords and the king of all kings. And we are here for you today, Jesus. Let our worship
hear from Psalm 104 for you before we start our next song. We're going to continue singing. But may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his work. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord forever.
behind you in the name of the Lord before you sit down. All right. Amen. As we continue our time in worship, we want to worship through our giving and like to invite our ushers to join me up here as we prepare to receive our morning tithes and offerings. And if you are a visitor here today, we want you to know that we're not paying dues here. We're just simply giving to the Lord out of, out of uh, joy in our hearts for His provision and uh, just acknowledging His kingship and he, that He is our provider. So we honor Him that way and do not feel like you have to participate, but we certainly would encourage you to do so. There's great blessing in uh, sowing into the kingdom of the Almighty. Let's pray for this. Jesus, we honor you with our giving today, acknowledging that you are our provider, you alone. Take what we have to offer you today, use it, bless it, multiply it, accomplish your kingdom purposes with it, build your church with it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And as you're doing that, kiddos, we invite you to come and you can bring your offerings into your bucket here and then follow Miss McKenzie on out. She's got great stuff in store for you. Isn't it great having our kids in here with us during worship time? They add so much. Wonderful. I want to invite you, uh, as we're continuing with our giving, I want to invite you to Acts chapter 10. The book of Acts chapter 10. And it's interesting, we, we've been tracking, all, all, you know, most of this year as we've been going through, um, trying to hit most of the books of the Bible each week. Uh, one at one each week. We we've been tracking this timeline, right? As we moved from the beginning of time, Genesis, we're gonna call this the cross right here. Um, and the last few weeks, we've been on this side of the cross. And when you get to the book of Acts, you you kind of come to an ending with the narrative part of Scripture, because once you get past the book of Acts, then you're into the letters. And the letters uh, happen um, pretty much in the same time frame uh, that uh, towards the end of the book of Acts and, and, and just following it. And the letters basically are, 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 are inscribed to, to encourage the church at this point. 
So when we get into the book of Acts, we're winding down our narrative or, or, or the, the, the historical aspect of Scripture. Now, yes, there's revelation. There's still prophecy that, that uh, is going to happen. So there's, there's end of day stuff. But for the most part, we, we come to the end of our historical narrative when, once we close out the book of Acts. So here we are in the book of Acts today. And um, I, I, I think that there's, there's three marquee events in the book of Acts. I mean, there's lots of stuff that happens in Acts, but I would purport that, that there are, are three marquee events that happen in the book of Acts. We're going to mainly look at the third one today, but the first two happen. Uh, the first one being in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. Certainly a very marquee moment in the church because that's when the Holy Spirit descends upon the believers in Jesus and, and fills them and begins to dwell in them. And it, and it changes the course of history because those believers step outside of, of hiding behind closed doors and they begin to share what they have seen and what they have experienced, what they have heard. The gospel of Jesus begins to move out because of the infilling of the Holy Spirit in these apostles and in these early, these, these, this first generation of followers of Jesus. That happens in Acts chapter 2. And so from there to Acts chapter 9, you kind of begin to see the birth of the church and, and, and the early days of the church still kind of unorganized. They're trying to become organized. They still don't have all of, of theology figured out. In fact, they have, I would say, most of theology not figured out yet, and, and that has a lot to do wh why the letters are written to the churches, okay? So the letters following Acts help us understand theology as we've come to understand it today, okay? Um, Acts chapter 9, though, is, is really a marquee event as well because that's where the apostle Paul becomes converted. Prior to that, Paul is known as Saul, and he is the lead uh, persecutor of the church. He is the one steering the ship, trying to get rid of this thing called the church, trying to get rid of this thing called the way, is what it was called then, this sect in, uh, inside of Judaism. And, and Saul is leading the charge in, in eradicating this thing, trying to get it off of the earth. And he has this incredible moment where he comes face to face with Jesus. Now, Jesus is no longer walking the earth. He's ascended into heaven. But Jesus shows up on, uh, when Paul's on his way to, the, to Damascus with letters to um, uh, attack the church, persecute the church, and Jesus confronts him. And when he realizes during this event, he becomes blind, but he comes to a, an important realization. Jesus is God. And, and it's in this moment that his heart it begins to turn and he begins to realize. And all of the studying that, that Paul, this guy Saul, who becomes Paul, had been doing, all of this knowledge of all of this scriptural history begins to unlock for him. The light bulbs begin to turn on and he begins to realize Jesus really was a Messiah. And all of the stuff that Jesus endured with, with his death, um, and the resurrection w was all talked about, was all prophesied, and, and the light bulbs be began to come on. And the reason that his conversion is even more significant than any of the other conversions is because 
it says there in chapter 9 that God has a special plan for Saul, for Paul, that he is going to be the voice to the Gentiles. He's going to be the one that leads the charge in bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. Which is, understand that when you're, when you're coming from a Jewish perspective, and this would be Paul's perspective as well, this is a radical thing to consider. But it's Acts chapter 10 where that ball really starts to roll. And that's where I want us to read today. So we're in Acts chapter 10. And what's surprising is you're going to find that this is not Paul, but it's Peter. And I think I have a good explanation for that. So here we go, right at verse 1 of chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. Kind of a, a, a similar thing that happened to Saul on the way to Damascus. A similar kind of encounter here. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, when the angel that spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now let's pause there for a moment because I want us to understand Cornelius. Roman centurion. But he's God-fearing. Understand that his background uh, would, would be uh, under, learning about, understanding, and even probably had a history of worshiping all kinds of gods. The Greek influence was significant in Roman culture. Okay, So... He would have had all of this knowledge about all the different kind of gods that, that exist. But, but because of the influence of, of the Jewish folks that were around him, he, he came to understand that there was one true God. The really interesting thing about Cronius is that he's not allowed to function inside of the Jewish system. He has no place inside of the Jewish system. And, and apparently there, were, there would have been others like them, and, and they were known to the Jews as God-fearing, but not a part of the family. Not, you, you, know, you have to become converted into full Judaism to be accepted into the system. He's functioning outside of the system, especially as a Roman centurion. But yet he's got this God-fearing aspect about him and it's influencing his whole household as well i want to peek real quick into chapter 11 at verse 14 i'm just going to read it for you you can open it up the reason we're doing this is because chapter 11 is has an explanation about everything that we're reading here and inside the explanation in verse 14 we see something that we don't see in the in the actual event the explanation says this and Peter is talking to other Jews after all the stuff that we're going to read. He says, he told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. And then listen to this. 
He will bring you a message through which you and your household will be saved. Okay, so we have a God-fearing Roman centurion who is not saved. He would be what we would call pre-Christian. And you know what? It's not a terribly uncommon thing to have in the church. People that are, are doing church, people that are functioning inside of church, but have not accepted the message of the cross in their heart and in their mind, in their soul, and have not become saved yet, even, even though they may have been connected to or even significantly a part of the church for a long period of time. That's not a, that's not a terribly uncommon thing to happen. In fact, you may have been around people like that before. When Sarah and I were in college, we had lots of odd jobs that we did to just make our way through each semester. One of them that Sarah had was uh, she ended up caring for an adult woman who was in her last stages of MS. In fact, she, she died while Sarah was on the job. And she lived with her parents. So her parents would have been in their 60s. Probably this lady was 40. She had just turned 40, I think. They were devout Presbyterians, heavily involved in this uh, big Presbyterian church in town. But what's really interesting is when we began to press them on their relationship with the Lord, their answer was this, oh, we're definitely going to heaven. We're Americans. That was their... That was their understanding. They, now, see this nationalistic kind of idea was, was, was where the Jews were coming from as well. They would, they would have said the same kind of thing. We're, we're definitely redeemed. We're Jews. We're of this system. Um, I don't know how we Americans would, would have ever gone to the place where we just believe we're going to heaven because we're American, but that's what came forth from their mouth. Devout, uh, very heavily involved in their church. So it's not a terribly uncommon thing for even people today in the church to have a misunderstanding of what salvation is, how we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and how we get into heaven. Even folks that have been in the church for a long time. This is, this is essentially Cornelius's status. And in his, out of his devoutness, I'm going to throw that word out there. It's not really a word, I don't think. But the, God shows up on the scene and says, all right, send for Peter. Now, chapter before, it was made clear that Paul was going to be the one, the voice to the Gentiles. So you, you would have thought that this chapter would have followed that up and it, and it would have been Paul coming to Cornelius' house. But it was Peter. And I would argue that this is a very important strategical move on God's part. Because at this point in time, Gentiles are not a part of the church. If there were any Gentiles believer in Jesus and they were a part of the church, it's only because they have been Judaized. They have, they have converted to Judaism and are believers in Jesus as Messiah at the same time. So we haven't crossed over this, this really important bridge where Gentiles are be, will, will be, start being welcomed into the church. This, this is step one of this. Peter 
is going to be considered the head of the church, this young thing called the church. In fact, it's, we haven't even been started calling called Christians yet. We're still just people of the way. Um, Christians, doesn't, that word doesn't even show up till later on in Acts in uh, the town of Antioch. So this is how early we are in, in this thing called the church, okay? Peter's the head. He's kind of, he, he's the main uh, leading apostle. And so calling Peter into this brings significant credibility to, to the change, this dramatic thing that's about to unfold. And it's going to be very controversial. In fact, the controversy will ultimately end up splitting Christians from, from Judaism. Whether it's Jews that kick the Christians out of, out of the synagogues or out, out of the temple or, or we just left, uh, hard, hard to exactly know. But, but it's us Gentiles, and I mean, that's us, right? We don't really have any Jews in here. So we're talking about us. When we show up on the scene, when we, when we come into the church, um, we ultimately create a rift that separates us from, from that place that we were born out of, this, this, this thing called Judaism. So here we are. Cornelius has, has, has had this vision, and he, he sends for Peter. At the same time, here we go, about noon, so we're in, uh, what is that, uh, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter goes up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. So he begins to have a vision. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to, to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And a voice spoke saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And his response is very Peter-esque. Okay, no way, Lord, no way. Uh-uh. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And he's referring to the law, functioning inside of the law. You got all of these animals on the sheet, and there are unclean animals mixed in with clean animals. And when that happens, their concept was what was, would be clean has been made unclean because they're hanging out with the unclean. So he's like, no way, I'm not going to touch that. I've never done that before. And the voice responds this way, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now, things with Peter happen in threes, don't they? It's really interesting. I don't know if it's because he's so hard-headed that it takes that kind of to get through to him, but this, this conversation happens three times, and then the, the sheet goes away, and he's left pondering what he's just experienced. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit says to him, Simon, Three men are looking for you. Here we go, threes again. Three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. It's interesting, the Lord does not say, by the way, they're Gentiles. So he's not functioning with that knowledge at this point. 
but he's heard the voice of the Lord. He's, he's got the three thing going on, so he's, he's having confidence that it's God that has truly spoken to him, and he's just been told, follow these guys, and so he's intent upon doing that. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Now, Peter's got a crisis on his hands right here, okay? First of all, for him, a, a, a good Jew to decide to follow these Gentiles and head into a Gentile home is crossing all kinds of barriers that aren't good for him. It's probably going to make him ceremonially unclean, which means he's going to have to go through all these rituals become, so that he can then worship in the temple. There's things that he's going to have to do because, um, because he's stepping into this unclean zone. So he, he's got to decide, am I going to follow the Spirit? Am I going to listen to the voice of the Lord and step out into this area that is going to be uncomfortable and really illegal for me, if you want to use that word? And here's his response. He invited the men into the house to be his guests, which would have been just the same problem. But he says, come on in. And they have an overnighter. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. So he's got some witnesses to this. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up. I'm only a man myself. Now, we get it. We, we understand Peter's response. Well, let's think about Cornelius' action here. I think it's pretty profound, actually, because I think it, what, it, what it shows is, is the awe and the reverence that he has in his heart for God. He's got some connection with God here, and he's come to some kind of understanding about who he's dealing with. And if God has sent this guy He's going to be really important. And so it's not, I don't think that Cornelius is bowing down to worship Peter here. It's, it's not that. But there is, there is an awe and a reverence inside of Cornelius that is just coming through in this picture big time. Peter's like, no, 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 this, it's not about me. It's not about me. So while talking with him. Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, okay, I'm going to tell you about my, my concern here. You are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with the Gentiles. But God has shown me something. He's shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So the light bulb is turned on for Peter. He's come to an understanding about the vision. It's not about food per se, it's about people. He's come to this understanding in this moment. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Now, why have you sent for me? Cornelius answers with the vision. Three days ago, I was in my house praying at the hour, three in the afternoon. See these threes, right? It's amazing. 
Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately. And it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And so Peter began to speak, began to sermonize. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Man, amen to that, right? But accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And this is, this is radical insight. This is radical insight. And, and you've got to understand that this knowledge for him becomes really dangerous. He knows when he's, when he's going to try to explain this insight to his brothers and sisters, these Jews. This, this is going to be hard for them to hear. Radical stuff. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And as soon as those words are coming out of his mouth, look what's happened. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and praising God. When they witnessed this, Paul's conclusion, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is one of those stories that you could easily blow past, but realize the enormity of what has just occurred. The leader of, of, of the church has just witnessed God himself falling upon Gentiles just as he fell upon them in Acts chapter 2. And there wasn't a thing he could say against it. There wasn't a thing he could do to say, well, that's not real. The evidence was there. And he's like, well, then they're equals. They're equals. Realize their normal viewpoint of Gentiles where they were like dogs. That's, that, that was their normal perspective. The Jewish perspective of the, of the Gentile was they, they would be like a dog. 
And here Peter's seeing this equality suddenly set in. And it's not Paul witnessing it, it's Peter. And, and I'm convinced that it's because his credibility was in witnessing this, plus the other witnesses there as well, when he comes back in chapter 11, is him coming back to Jerusalem and going, okay, church, I got something to tell you. <laughs> and he just shares the story. And what's amazing is their responses. If that's what God wants to do, praise the Lord. So the, the believers in Messiah, the Jewish believers in Messiah, welcome in the Gentiles into the church. But a crisis begins to unfold. And as Paul and his companions begin to go out to, from town to town, village to village, city to city, sharing the good news of the gospel, it's really interesting because the first thing they do is they step right into the synagogue, wherever the synagogue is. They go to the Jewish people first, sharing the truth about Messiah. And what happens is oftentimes there are some that accept it and then there are some that reject it. And, and there's a tension that begins to mount because Gentiles are coming to Christ through these messages as well. They go into the synagogue, they preach to the Jews. The Jews, for the most part, say no, so they step out of the synagogue, they go to the streets, and the Gentiles are coming to faith. And the resistance from the Jews is significant, and this tension mounts and mounts and mounts and mounts all the way through the end of, of Acts, like I said, until we're beyond Acts and this separation ends up happening. Because the nationalistic mindset, because this mindset that they have of, of, of their system being the source of salvation for themselves, not for the rest of the world, they get stuck in it. And meanwhile, the Holy Spirit at work in his church just begins to spread. And here we are, I've said this so many times, over 2,000 years later, on the other side of the planet, talking about this, experience the same, experiencing the same and filling of the Holy Spirit that they were experiencing then. Us Gentiles, way on the other side of the globe, because God is the same yesterday today and forever and it was even prophesied all the way in the days of abraham that that he was going to be the father of many nations the, the jews they, they they got so self-centered in their worship and they got so self-centered in their whole system that they couldn't see beyond themselves and they couldn't embrace what god was doing on this side of the cross this this radical thing Thank God that Peter was able to see it, was able to understand it, and embraced it, and just said, hey, okay, if this is what God's doing, go God. I'm just going to go share the report. You can see why this is such a marquee event, because this, the game has changed. This event changes the game. I mentioned this last week. Jesus changed the game. The Holy Spirit changes the game through the power of Jesus and invites, opens the door for Gentiles to come into saving faith. And so Cornelius and his family move 
from pre-Christian right into being saved through hearing the testimony, Peter's testimony of the gospel of Jesus. It's radical. And, 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 and it's stirring. And it causes me to it causes me to really think through who am I in Christ? Do I have that God-fearing dynamic in my life that Cornelius had? Am I just going through the motions? Or am I a true believer and who Jesus is and what he has done. Have I allowed his message to really come in and begin to transform me and reform me, cleanse me? Or have, have I just been hanging around and participating here and there? Or am I a real believer? Cornelius is a strong example for me today. I'm praying that he comes before you in the same way. Now, I want to spend some time in prayer together. And as as we're doing that, I want to invite the worship team to come up and get in place. Because we're going to, just as we did last week, we're going to spend some time in worship in response. We talked about last week, Jesus says to his, his followers right before being arrested and ultimately crucified, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Commune with me. Reside in me. Be connected to me. Cornelius' story kind of comes to us as, as, as a great example. Yeah, he was pre-Christian, but he was, he was pressing into the things of God. Hadn't heard the truth about Jesus yet, and that's why Peter came. To just share the truth about who Jesus was and what he did. For them, for us. And their hearts were so in tune, they were, they were so close to being connected to the vine that it just clicked for them. And they, be, they became believers immediately as the words were coming out of Peter's mouth. Does that reflect us? Does that reflect you, who you are and what you do? Are you abiding in the vine? Are you connecting, communing? Or are you just kind of, you know, hanging around it a little bit? With your eyes closed, just, just soaking in prayer for a few moments. Holy Spirit, we've invited you into this place. We identify ourselves as your people called by your name. God-fearing, 
and we declare our awe of you. You are the creating and sustaining God of all the universe. With sovereign powers. You are all powerful, you are all knowing, and you are full of love, surrounded by love. Which led you, Jesus, to the ultimate sacrifice, giving your life up on a cross, a Roman cross, for the sins of the world. Because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And we celebrate today because you have given us eternal life through your sacrifice. And the story doesn't end on the cross. Three days later, you rose from the dead. There's victory over the grave. There's victory over the sting of death. The wages of sin is death, yes. But the gift of God is eternal life. That is the truth of the story of the gospel, not just 2,000 years ago, but it's the truth of the story of the gospel here and now in this moment. And we are in awe of you, Holy Spirit, of who you are and what you have done for us and what you have done and what you're doing in us and even through us. We honor you today and we, we choose to abide we choose to commune, to connect with your spirit today. So our response is to worship, to adore, to honor you with our hearts and our voices, our hands, our feet, our bodies. We bring them to you today as living sacrifices. in the name of Jesus we pray as we head into this time we wanted to show a video clip a, a testimony from, from this past week it, it, it's, it's not the greatest resolution so you're going to try to clean your glasses to see it clearly uh, it's not your glasses it's, it's the video but, but listen to the testimony of one of our own uh, about what God's doing in her and, and through her last Sunday really affected me and got me thinking about my own personal worship and just what my attitude has been off and on over the many years that I've attended church. And I just think it is critical to blend the generations. I know that's not always easy and um, sometimes it works well and sometimes it doesn't, but I think our church does a great job at trying to do just that and that means that everyone needs to be open-minded on both sides of that um, and be respectful of each other and each other's desire i have sometimes a problem with focusing and with distractions whether it be that cute little baby two rows up or um, someone's hairdo or what have you i sometimes struggle with that 
So when the, the lights are dimmed, that definitely gets my attention. Um, but also uh, when God was speaking and, and the scripture was on the big screen, that really stopped me in my tracks. I felt like everything stopped and God was speaking to us. So I particularly appreciated that. I need all the help I can get when it comes to um, avoiding distractions. Sometimes I like to raise my hand, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I have my hands out just trying to absorb and invite the Holy Spirit in. And other times my hands are straight up, whether that means I'm high-fiving God or I'm in total surrender. Um, but I just think it's really important that we allow everyone in our congregation to be comfortable to worship how they feel God has put on their heart to do so. Um, so anyway, I really appreciated last Sunday. One of the questions I often get asked as a worship leader is what's with the repetitious phrases? Are you trying to work us up into an emotional frenzy? What, what's the point of that? And I thought I would take a minute to talk about that. There are three reasons that come to my mind. There might be others. But one there is, um, I want to read a little bit from Revelation. Um, this is a description of the throne in heaven. And John says, each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. So first of all, I think there's scriptural evidence and biblical support for, talk about repetition, right? Forever and ever, they're singing Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The other two reasons for me are, um, one is for familiarity. Brian talked about that last week in a struggle with familiarity. Um, what is a new song to somebody is an old song to somebody else and vice versa. So one of the reasons I like to repeat choruses and bridges is to help learn the song. Another reason is it gives your brain a chance to detach from reading and be able to focus on the words and what they're saying. So I hope that gives some explanation and something to consider. But we're going to worship now with some familiar songs, maybe some new songs. I just encourage you, whatever level of familiarity you are with these songs, that you will choose to abide and choose to engage with the Father now.
as your testimony that's on your lips today. Will you just say amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, we honor you today with all that we are. We know that we are joining in with all of creation that is continually crying out in praise to you. All the heavens declare the glory of, of our creator. We know that even right now, Lord Jesus, you are enthroned and your, your throne room is encircled and there is glory and loud and, and praise being brought to you. And here we are down on the earth raising up our voices in awe of you today. We thank you for your mercy and your grace and your love that continues to extend to us day in and day out. You are transforming us even now in this moment. Continue to do so. May, may we know you as our savior, as our friend. May you Continue to be the lover of our soul. We walk in the light this week as you are in the light. And we worship you in spirit and in truth. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we all prayed and everybody said. blessing over you as we depart. What a time we've had together today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you, be gracious to you. May his countenance come upon you. May he fill you with his peace and his power. We do pray that you have an amazing week abiding in him. Looking forward to hearing the stories. God bless you. You're dismissed.